we are back in Philippians and we're in chapter two and we're looking at verses 25 through 30. So Philippians chapter two, verses 25 through 30. This is not a text that most people would pull up to say, I'm gonna preach a sermon just on this text because this text is the most memorized text in all of Philippians. That's just not what happens, but I don't want you to miss some things that come through this text. What we're gonna see in 25 through 30 is Paul is actually giving the reasons for Epaphroditus to go back. Epaphroditus is typically held as the one who would have carried the letter of the Philippians back to them. And so Paul is gonna give the reasons why he needed to return back. But in that, he's also gonna accomplish some other things and we don't wanna miss those items. He's gonna commend Epaphroditus for what he does. We wanna walk through that and look at it. And then he's gonna give that cause for the return. And then as he looks back even further at that, he's gonna give us something I think is really important for us to consider deeply this morning. He's gonna give them a command to honor Epaphroditus and anyone who sacrifices their life for the gospel in the same way. Now that beckons the question to us. What would we be willing to risk our life for the gospel for? So I've titled this message, A Risky Ministry, because you do recognize when we sign up to serve God, when we sign up to say, Lord, I'm gonna be your servant. I've committed my life to you. I'm saved. We don't just sign up to get the get out of hell free card. We sign up to say, I'm gonna go where you want me to go. I'm gonna do what you want me to do. That's a risky ministry. That's a risky opportunity to serve because we don't know what God may ask us to do or what it may cost us. As I look at this, as I think about Missions Week, I'm reminded of a great quote from Jim Elliott. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives in this earth, in this life, things that we cannot keep, things that perish, things that go away, to gain that which he cannot lose, those things of eternal value, of eternal significance. So today for you, I have as the main idea of our text, the purpose of our lives is to serve God and others. Now, if you've gone through the catechisms, if you have memorized those, you're, you're well acquainted with the fact that what's the purpose of your life? Why are you here? It's to glorify God. So how do we best glorify God? We best glorify God when we are serving him faithfully. And if we're gonna serve God faithfully, then we have to serve others as well. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. We are showing that grace, that mercy, that love to others that God has shown to us. So our passion and even the reason it's our core values here at Cedarville, we love God and we love others. Our very purpose of our lives is to serve God and others. And it doesn't matter what your major is. It doesn't matter what your hobbies may be. It doesn't matter what your gifts or your interest may be. The purpose of your life through those gifts, through those hobbies, through that major, through that vocation is to use all that God has given you to serve God and to serve others. That's the purpose of our lives. And that's why when God redirects our path sometimes, it's not the end of the world for us because it's just a different opportunity to serve God in a different way and use where he's directing us for his purposes. The purpose of our lives is to serve God and serve others. Let me kind of show you where we're headed. Then we'll read our text. You're gonna see as we read this text in verse 25, a commendation of Epaphroditus. And then you're gonna see in verses 26 through 28, a cause for return. 
And then you're going to see in verses 29 and 30 the command to honor him and to honor those who risk their lives for service to the gospel. Let's read Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30 together. It says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow up on sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Dear Lord, as we walk through your text, may your spirit make it alive to us. May we be convicted and challenged and encouraged as we need to be. And Lord, may we live lives that are focused on our service to you and service to others for Jesus' glory. In his name I pray, amen. All right, we look at the very first point. And the first point is the commendation of Epaphroditus. And we see that in verses 25. In verse 25, he starts off with this broad commendation. He says to him that he's a brother. Everybody that is saved in this room is a brother or sister in Christ. We are all brothers and sisters in the family of God. That's a broad commendation. Epaphroditus is our brother. Everybody reading this would have said, yes, he is a fellow believer. He is in the family of God. He moves from that more general application to a more specific application and commendation of Epaphroditus. He says, not only is he a brother, he's a fellow worker. Now, how many brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God that you see out in the church are actually just sitting on the couch? They're not doing anything. They're not actually working or engaged in the ministry. And so here, what Paul is saying about Epaphroditus is he's saying, he's my brother, but he's also a fellow worker. He's not sitting on the sidelines. He's not on the couch. He's not being lazy. He's not retired from his service to the Lord. He is a fellow worker actively seeking how he can serve the Lord and how he can work out the gospel. Not only is he a brother and a fellow worker, but look how he gets a little bit more specific here. And he says he is a fellow soldier. This is not somebody that's sitting in the stands watching what's happening in the arena. This is a soldier that has become actively engaged in the arena and fighting against the forces of darkness. This is someone who is putting their life on the line to say, I want to be involved in the work of Christ. And what we see in this text is it talks about him being sick near unto death as it talks about the fact that he risked his life for the gospel. We are not called to risk our lives foolishly. But we are also not called to seek to preserve our comfort and to preserve our safety to the neglect of taking the gospel to the nations, to the neglect of presenting the word of God. Sometimes the gospel may cost us. It may put us in a situation where we end up becoming sick and our health is at risk. It may put us in a situation where our safety may not be what it is if we stay here on the campus of Cedarville. But what you see here is Epaphroditus was a person who likely not only helped give to the offering, but then he carried the offering. And so Paul here after fellow soldiers says, he's your messenger to the Philippians who he's writing this letter to. He's saying to them, he's the one you sent. You sent him with the offering. He's your messenger. And then he's also your minister to my needs. 
They sent Epaphroditus. They wanted Epaphroditus to stay with Paul, to serve with Paul, to minister with Paul. And so Paul here gives him a great commendation. There's an application for us as we think about this too. How many times are we encouraging to other people? Well, Paul didn't have to write this. But can you imagine being Epaphroditus sitting here? Can you imagine Epaphroditus reading or, or perhaps even being there when it was written? And the Apostle Paul, who, who even though we should not elevate one person, one human over another human, even though we shouldn't hold people up on pedestals, we do as part of our human nature. I imagine that Epaphroditus in my mind looked at Paul and thought Paul is the pinnacle of service to Christ. And Paul here writing these words, this is my brother. There's a term of affection there when somebody calls me a brother, my friend, my brother, but he's a fellow worker. Oh, and he's a fellow soldier. Oh, and he's also a messenger from you and a minister to my needs. How many of you have ever received an encouraging note that just made your day? Yeah, I got one this morning. Oddly enough, preparing to preach this, this text, walking in here, I received one of the most encouraging things you can ever receive, chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. And a note, a nice note that went with it, which encouraged my soul, it encouraged my spirit. It causes me to think, how often do we take the time to encourage others or are we just too busy doing other things? There's something for us to take note here. The text continues on. The text doesn't stop there. Next, what we're gonna see is the cause for return, verses 26 through 28. Look at what happens here in verses 26 through 28. We know, because we've just read the text, that he was sick, he was ill. Even when I say the word ill, I think about that word because where I grew up in South Carolina, the word ill can mean a couple of different things. It can mean like you're physically ill or it can just mean you've got a bad attitude. Like he's ill, he's not in a good mood, he's grumpy, he's short, he's tempered, he's whatever, he's ill. Uh, and I'm sure there's other uses of that word here as well. But when you think about this, it means he was sick. He was sick near to death. And so as we see that he was sick near to death, look what it says in verse 26. He's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was sick. Now, this is not the days when you can text message somebody and say, hey, I'm really okay. You couldn't pop a selfie and then send it out and say, I'm doing just fine, mom and dad, everything's good. You're talking about a situation where they would have traveled approximately 800 miles from Philippi to Rome. So this is about a six week trip. We don't know the details of this, but in some way, form or fashion, the word of his sickness, and we don't even know what he had. We don't know how long he was sick. He could have gotten sick on the way from Philippi to Rome, carrying it and continued on. He could have gotten sick after he arrived, but six weeks in that travel time and for people not to know, he's really sick. He's not doing well. What's the update? Do we have an update? What's going on with Epaphroditus? We don't know. And so what we see is that Epaphroditus was, he was distressed over this. It says he was longing for y'all. Man, I really love to go see these people that I know and that I care for that hurt. I wasn't doing well, distressed about this. So one of the reasons Paul's gonna send him back is because he apparently wanted to go. He was longing to be able to see them. That's not the only reason. In verse 27, it says, indeed, he was ill near to death. Now it says he was sick three times in this passage. 
In verse 26, it says he was ill. In verse 27, he was ill near to death. And then in verse 30, it says he nearly died for the work of Christ. So Paul here is emphasizing how sick he was. We don't know what he had, but he was in bad shape. So Paul says he's going to send him back. Indeed, he was near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm more eager to send him that you may rejoice at seeing him again. There's a second reason. You heard he was sick. You're worried about him. I'm gonna send him back. Then you can rejoice at him coming again. Now, why is Paul doing all this? We don't know for sure. But if the church at Philippi had sent Epaphroditus 800 miles to take an offering and then stay and minister with Paul and he comes back early, some people in the church at Philippi might have said, Epaphroditus, you didn't accomplish your mission. What are you doing back home already? You haven't stayed long enough. You haven't done your service well. And what Paul is saying to them is he's saying to them, he, he says very in the very beginning, I have thought it necessary. He's going to take responsibility for this decision. He says, Epaphroditus wanted to come to you. He says, I wanted to send him to you so that you could rejoice at him coming to you. And then he says this as well. He says that I may be less anxious at the end of verse 28. Now we have to call a timeout right here because we know that in chapter four, in some of the most memorized passages, Paul writes to us, do not be anxious for anything but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul, how is it that you write here that I may be less anxious in chapter two? And how is it in chapter four that you're telling all of us do not be anxious? Well, there's different words in the original language here. This is not the same word that he uses in chapter four. And it's one of the reasons why we teach Greek on campus. It's one of the reasons why it's great for you to understand the Greek language so you can see what's actually behind the English text here. And so what Paul is saying is there is a great concern for Epaphroditus. He didn't want him to die. He would have had sorrow upon sorrow. And it's okay for us to be sorrowful when somebody is in trouble, somebody's sick, when somebody's passing. But he says, I'm glad the Lord had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me, because now I, I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to have that concern over this. In chapter four, he's going to tell us when we have concern, we can't let that concern turn into an anxiousness that paralyzes us, but we have to turn that concern over to God, knowing we can't do anything about it. So we submit it to God and we say to God with thanksgiving, God, you are in control. And because we recognize he's in control and I'm not, I can't control it and I don't have to. As I look to God to control it, that peace of God that passes all understanding is going to guard our hearts and minds. The peace of God comes after praying to God with thanks, thankfulness. So here Paul gives three reasons. Three reasons why he should return. There's a third point in here. We see this when we look at verses 29 through 30. He says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy. Back to one of the themes about this book. He wants them to rejoice at seeing him. He wants them to receive him in the Lord with all joy. And then he says, and honor such men. Why do you honor him? You honor him for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So what would you risk your life for? Ponder that question for just a moment. Is there anything in your life right now that you would say, I would risk my life for this? I would risk my life, my safety, my health, my comfort 
for this. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying Epaphroditus chose to be the messenger and to be the minister. He chose to go on a trip. He risked his safety. He risked his life for the work of Christ. Honor such men. That's why we should honor those who are missionaries who serve overseas. That's why we honor those who are in the service of the Lord that go to locations that perhaps we may never go to. It's why we get involved in the global missions effort. It's why we give. It's why we pray. It's why we go. It's why we support. Are you willing to put your life on the line, not in, a, not in a careless way, not in a reckless way, but are you willing to put your life on the line for the sake of the gospel? Is it that important to you? Paul here says we should honor such men. I want to point out a few leadership lessons that we see also here. Think about what's taking place in this. Epaphroditus going back potentially early, the criticism's likely to come. Paul as a leader has sat down and he has thought about this deeply. Paul is not playing checkers. He's playing chess. If you know the difference between checkers and chess, you can be okay at checkers if you just plan one move, maybe two moves ahead of time. If you want to be good at chess, you better be planning at least three moves ahead of time. Paul has sat down and done the hard work of thinking deeply. And as he's thought deeply, he says, if I send Epaphroditus back with this letter, then if I send him back, he could be criticized. So what I need to do is I need to make sure that I cut off that criticism in advance. So he commends Epaphroditus and he says to him, this is my brother. This is my fellow worker. This is my fellow soldier. He's your messenger. He's your minister. In other words, he's saying don't criticize him we can do this too you know every now and then we have a chapel speaker that doesn't hit a home run and then somebody will come up afterwards and want to say what'd you think about that almost like we're inviting criticism like we're inviting a critical spirit and you can just cut it off ahead of time well I was really blessed by the Lord today right it may not be that it was perfect but you can just cut it off ahead of time I see some criticism coming I want to get ahead of it and I want to cut it off and this is what Paul does you have to think deeply to recognize the criticism coming in order to be able to cut it off this is a great leadership lesson this leader sends somebody on a task and he equips them to succeed he encourages Epaphroditus as we should encourage others he also takes this as a teaching moment Everybody that's going to read this letter in Philippi and for the rest until the Lord comes back recognizes that what the Apostle Paul is saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that risking your life for the work of the gospel is an honorable thing. What's the purpose of my life? Serve God and serve others. However God calls me to do it. If God calls me to stay here and be at this great place, alongside amazing people, great. If God says, no, you've got to go somewhere else. I need you to go to a country that persecutes Christians and I need you to take the gospel there. Then I better be willing in my heart to say, yes, sir, as a servant of the most high king. So I ask, are you mentally preparing yourself for whatever that vocational opportunity may be? Are you mentally preparing yourself that when you take this job, that when you take this position, that you might think about where is this located? Is there a church plan I can get involved in? Is this location perhaps better for gospel ministry than this location? Are you thinking deeply and strategically about how you can be invested in the advancement of the kingdom of God beyond Cedarville and after Cedarville? Are you preparing yourselves right now for those type ministries? This is a teaching moment that Paul challenges all of us. 
And then Paul takes the responsibility for it. A leader, when they make decisions, takes responsibility for it. He said, I thought it necessary. Don't get mad at Epaphroditus. I sent him back with a letter. I thought it was necessary. This one's on me. So he leads well. So I come back to the question. What are you willing to risk your life for? So how many of you have seen the movie Free Solo? Raise your hand. Okay, now, if you're a Star Wars fan, this is not about Han Solo. Free Solo is about Alex Hanold, who is the, the climber that went up El Capitan, a 3,000-foot ascent, higher than many buildings in the United States. I think it's even higher than the Empire State Building. And yet he did this many times with ropes, but it was kind of his purpose to do this without ropes. And we were watching this, I've seen it before, but we were watching it again at the house this weekend. And as we were watching it, there was one particular time where his, his girlfriend leaves and she's driving and crying and she makes the statement, I just don't understand why he has to do this. I don't understand why he has to risk his life to climb a steep, impossible cliff wall. He was the first one to ever do this solo climbing. One slip. It was death. They described one portion of the mountain that he was going up as it was just the thin rubber on his shoes that was holding his body onto this cliff. If he would have fallen at that point in time, he would have been dead. He was risking his life to climb a sheer rock wall. Now, many of us in the room right now may say, well, that's dumb. I'm not going to risk my life to climb a sheer rock wall. I'm with you. I'm not going to risk my life by climbing that rock wall without the right ropes on it. <laughs> not going to happen. Not worth it to me. But to this individual, it was worth it. It was his life's purpose, his life's mission, his life's goal was to do something in the rock climbing world that nobody had ever done. And this was the pinnacle and supreme opportunity for him. So he worked incredibly hard to get there to do it. He planned diligently. He went through all these steps and then he did something that was incredibly risky. You know, I'm afraid that he might care more about climbing that rock wall than we do about souls going to an eternal hell or to heaven. I'm afraid that many times in our own hearts and in our own minds, we're more concerned about our comfort. We're more concerned about our reputation. We're more concerned about what people might say about us. We're more concerned about our safety than we are where people across this globe spend their eternity. So one of the challenges for all of us this morning is to examine what would I risk my life for? What in my life do I consider to be most important? What is the purpose of my life? What is it I spend most of my time doing? What is it I spend most of my brain power thinking about? What is it I spend most of my resources on? Those are the things that matter most to me in life. As I evaluate where I do those things, do I even care about anything passionately enough that I would risk my life for it? Or am I just existing and wandering through this life? The devil would be happy for all of us just to sit here in this field house and never go outside the walls of this field house and just have our little fun time together, but never reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's not the heart of a savior. 
who in Philippians 2, he came to this earth and humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross, so that I could be saved and that you could be saved and we could be reconciled to our creator. Our mission, our purpose in life is to serve God and serve others, to make him known, to give him the glory that he deserves. We have been given the greatest gift ever, a grace gift of salvation so that we can live with God and enjoy him forever. How important is that to you? All right, maybe you're here right now and you know, all right, it's really not that important to me. I'm not risking my life for the gospel. Maybe you're a few steps beyond that. You know where your heart is. Maybe you're not, you're not risking your life for the gospel ever. You're not even living for the gospel right now. Maybe you've got a pet sin issue that you love more than you love the gospel right now. Maybe you've got an addiction that you love more than you love Jesus right now. So you're choosing that sin over choosing the Savior. Can I just say to you, if that's where you are right now, that the Lord is giving you an opportunity to ask him to stir the affections of your heart through his word and through chapel and through Christian community and through classes to stir the affections of your heart and redirect those affections away from the sin issues. Can I say to you, talk to your RA, your RD, your faculty members, those that you're close to and get help to get rid of those addictions so that your affections can be set on God. And maybe right now you're not at a spot where you would say, I'm willing to risk something for the gospel, but we would you pray that the Lord would change your affection so that we would see people as he sees people and we would have the passion and the grace and the love that he had for us when he came to die for us and risked his very earthly life in that way? Would you ask the Lord to change your affections even now? I'm reminded of what it says in Mark chapter eight. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Now, I'm not saying to you this morning that every one of you is called to be a missionary overseas vocationally. What I am saying to you this morning is that God has a calling on your life he has given you gifts and he has given you passions and you align those and you use that as your place of ministry and your place of mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what your faculty are doing here is they're using their gifts as a mission to help equip you with a biblical worldview for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what you should do whether you're in engineering or nursing or education or athletic training or pharmacy or teaching history or teaching English grammar whatever it may be, wherever your passions may lie, use those passions for the glory of God. Use those passions underneath a major life purpose of saying, I'm here on this earth to serve God and to serve others and I'm gonna do it well through these gifts that God has given me as a good steward to be found faithful. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Purpose of our lives is to serve God and serve others.
Dear Lord, this is not what the world tells us. This is not the world's wisdom to us. Lord, the world tells us to put ourselves first. The world tells us it's all about us and our comfort and our toys. And yet, God, you tell us. It's all about the gospel. It's all about giving glory to you. It's all about serving you. It's all about serving and loving others. So God, this is a message that is countercultural to many ears and to many hearts as our sinful nature causes us to want to pursue ourself and selfishness. And so Lord, would you allow the truths of your word that are so countercultural to what the world tells us and even counter to what our own desires may be? Would you allow your word to sink deep into all of our lives? Would you allow us, Lord, to have our affections focused on you? Would you help us, Lord, to be able to have a passion for people and a passion for the gospel that is your passion, that we do ministry on this earth for you and for your glory, not seeking our own fame, but Lord, just to seek your glory. And God, would you help us today to examine where we are and help us to turn our hearts even more towards you. Help us, Lord, to take whatever step may be the next needed step to grow in godliness and closeness to our Savior. Help us each day to be less like me and more like our Savior. Lord, this is our prayer as we cry out to you, knowing that we need your grace each and every day. We need those new mercies every morning. We ask that you would do this work in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and for his glory. And in his name I pray, amen. And you are dismissed.